Welcome friends, both near and far. Welcome to Question Box Sunday. I think I made Reverend Jennifer a little nervous earlier because I said I was going to ask who his stylist was, <laughs> but um, don't worry, that's not a real question. So, but we all know he looks good. Well, the purpose of Question Box Sunday, excuse me, is to give you the congregants and those both near and far a chance to ask Reverend Jennifer some questions that um, he will have to answer because I'm asking them and he's on, <laughs> he's here on the, um, what's it called, spotlight, hot seat, that's the word I was looking for. So wonderful questions were submitted and of course more than we can actually all answer um, right away today. So I've, I've grouped them by themes, hopefully you'll hear something of the questions that you have asked in here and uh, we will get started with this question which is actually two questions combined. Um, we often throw around the words religious and spiritual, and so inquiring minds want to know, what does the word spiritual mean to you? And can you be religious without being spiritual? And can you be spiritual without being religious? Excellent question. And I think the word religion has been perverted of late, especially from those that we consider to be the religious right, and I want to explain why I feel like that's an oxymoron in some ways, because the word religion itself comes from the Latin root religio, which means to bind, meaning that we are the ones that chose to bind ourselves together in a covenantal community to make sure that we hold each other accountable in this community. And so religion does not have anything to do in my mind with creeds or a certain set of beliefs, and, um, but rather it has to do with shared values. And so in that sense, I consider myself to be religious because I have these values that I wanna live out in the world and I'm sure you do as well. And I find value in us gathering together as a community to celebrate the joys and the sorrows each and every single Sunday. And so the word spiritual, on the other hand, has an implication of being an individual kind of endeavor. But even beyond that, I feel like to be spiritual means that you are connected to your source, to your deepest and highest self, and also connected to that which is larger than you, which is why oftentimes when we're out in nature, for example, we find that to be a spiritual experience because all of a sudden we, um, we, we have the sense that we are much larger than any single one of us could be. So one could, of course, these days consider oneself to be spiritual but not religious. We even came up with an acronym for that, SBNR, right? And a, a lot of um, the younger generation, for example, have been so disenchanted with what they consider organized religion that they choose not to attend a house of worship um, every single week, which I feel like is actually a shame because um, it only contributes to loneliness and isolation. And, um, and again, I may be biased, but I feel like there is still something to be said about being part of a religious community so I actually consider myself to be both religious and spiritual. Okay, thank you. 
I knew if I started with a question that was slightly on the educational side, it'd make you feel a little more comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have one more similar question to that, which is, what is the difference between a credo and a theology? And uh, actually a youth this morning wanted to know, she's curious, are there any other religions such as ours that does not have any creed per se, and how do their beliefs differ from ours? Great question. So the word credo basically means a set of beliefs. And I love how we had as our opening hymn, we laugh, we cry because we do have beliefs. We believe in life and in the strength of love is how the chorus goes, right? And we believe that even to question truly is an answer, which is why we're here today. And, um, and beyond that, there are, again, values that we believe in. We believe that, I love those lawn signs. Love is love, that science is real, and that women's bodies are sacred and, and trans bodies are sacred and whole. So we do, I think, as Unitarian Universalists, have a set of beliefs. And I love it when during the coming of age ceremonies that we have, for example, our young people are asked to articulate those beliefs. So the difference is it's not a top-down kind of thing of saying that in order to be a Unitarian Universalist, you have to believe X, Y, and Z. But rather, we have an open and positive theology. And again, if you want to take a look at that word, traditionally, it means the study of God, theos and ology. Um, but again, I actually like Thomas Aquinas' definition of it, which is faith-seeking understanding. And so to that sense, every single one of us in this room has a faith and has something that you trust in that, you, um, that gets you up in the, in, in the morning. And so to question what that faith looks like is part of the work of theology. And in seminary, I was taught that theology begins with asking the question of what's wrong with the world. And as we look around, we could certainly see that our world is experiencing so much turmoil right now. And again, in, in um, traditional uh, context, that word is sin. So what are the areas where we miss the mark with one another, as I preached about two weeks ago? So that's the starting point of theology. And then you move on into what ought to be the case, right? So what does beloved community look like? What does the kingdom of God, if you will, look like? What does um, an, an ideal world look like? So what are our, our highest aspirations? And then the third part to that is, how do we get from A to B? Um, and, and so again, this is what we have community for, is to figure it out as a, as a group, as a, to be thought partners with one another on how we could build the world we dream about. And then the last piece of that is, so what? So what if we went through all this process? What, what difference does it make in the world? So to me, that's what theology is about. And um, it's a little different from credo. And yes, there are other faith traditions that um, also don't have a set of creeds, like our close cousin, the Congregationalists, which later on became the United Church of Christ. Um, and we partner with them on our whole lives. And OWL, for example, right? We came up with that curriculum together. So there are other faith traditions out there that also um, these days don't let you subscribe to a set of 
beliefs that you have to recite out loud every single week, but rather, um, you know, like us, we describe ourselves as the deeds, not creeds people, right? So I, I love that way of describing what Unitarian Universalism is. You said faith seeking understanding, is that mm -hmm. the word? So, yeah, faith yeah, seeking understanding I think that's something is my definition of theology. A, a wonderful way to, I, would, I wish I had known that when I was a kid to be able to say, what is Unitarian Universalism? And you know, Yuns don't have to believe in anything because I'm from Pittsburgh, they would say that. But um, that is actually not true. I have it's many, many beliefs. Yeah. And so to that end, um, as a quick quota to that is, what role do you think education plays in our denomination um, known for letting people navigate their own personal search for truth? That is an interesting question because I think back to the whole concept of religious education, for example, in the 19th century and how it was the Unitarians <clears throat> that came up with the idea of Sunday school, that we set aside time during um, each week to learn about matters of religion and matters of faith um, that our kids may not have learned throughout the week. And these days we know that um, the traditional model of religious education isn't necessarily working anymore. And there's, um, uh, my former colleague Kim Sweeney came up with a, a workshop and a training and curriculum about the death of Sunday school, for example. Because that brings up the whole point of how do we, um, is education more than just reading a book or going to a workshop? And we know this to be the case with racism, for example. It's the way to solve racism by holding another workshop on, on defining terms like white supremacy culture or you know, X, Y, and Z, right? And I don't doubt that all of that is helpful and that it's nice to bring our intellect into the discussion. But what I have learned um, working with the marriage equality campaign, for example, is that what is even more transformative is if the way we educate ourselves is to listen to other people's stories. So as queer people spoke up and talked about their lives and who they love and what family means to them, that is what changed people's hearts. So these days, I like to think of it as changing one's heart before one could change one's mind. And indeed, that's the history and tradition of universalism. It was, um, it was the, the way people described it was universalism has to do with the heart and Unitarianism has to do with the mind. So if only we could combine the two together to come up with a way of educating ourselves so that um, we could indeed transform our world. Again, continuing, you mentioned in this last moment about racial uh, racism and, and dealing with that. And of course, there's another major discriminatory experience that people have in life, and that is when you're a gay person, either homosexual, either a lesbian, gay, or LGBTQ+. And so as, as a, an out gay man yourself, um, then the question is how, and from coming from your, I believe, according to this evangelical background. So can you share with us some of your experience of what it was like to be in that 
environment and how you see a, a way forward. Okay, this could take the whole rest of the time, so, so punchline <laughs> it, please. But I think it's important for us to hear from someone, from a person of color, gay person of color, as to what your experience is like and how in the UU community we can support your efforts. Thank you. Um, as most of you probably know by now, the majority of Unitarian Universalist congregations um, do still consider themselves to be um, white and straight. And it, as a, a queer BIPOC minister, um, I'll be very honest in that I have served congregations before where I have experienced microaggressions and I could only imagine new people coming in through our doors may also experience that. And it's not out of malice. Again, it's not out of not being educated about how quote unquote bad racism or um, queer phobia is, but rather it, it's based on um, um, this whole idea that what we intend to do and what we intend to say may not necessarily land the way it does. And um, for this reason, there's actually studies that have shown with the UUA's transitions department and, and staff team that the average tenure of a BIPOC minister, a settled minister, is about three years, and the, while the average tenure of a white minister is about seven to nine years. So it's practically half of that, right? And this is part of the reason why I want to make sure, as your interim minister, again, since I'm pre-fired, to do all the hard things and to have these hard conversations that you all need to have before you call your next settled minister so that we set them up for success. And, um, and again, that's gonna take time and it's gonna take conversation and it's gonna take being in a relationship. And, and so I'm looking forward to that work. And can you repeat the second part of that question, please? You know, I just had a birthday, so it's extremely likely that I will not remember the second part to that question. Um, um, well, I think where, how can, oh, I, I remember now, how can Fourth U support the efforts, the greater efforts of bringing equality? Great. And I, again, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I love the fact that um, we, uh, Fourth U incorporated that into its uh, new mission statement. And again, with the signage that we have, it seems to indicate that we are open to fostering a more inclusive environment. And without teams, structures, and support in place, <clears throat> like I mentioned before, without a racial justice team, or an active one anyway. I know part of it has been incorporated into the democracy team. And without a Black Indigenous People of Color affinity group to have an environment of um, even a social uh, setting where um, BIPOC folks in this congregation could feel supported and without an eighth principal task force to ask the question of how then after passing the eighth principle, do we move this work forward? It's rather difficult to institutionalize this work rather than just leaving that to the minister who cannot do all the work by himself, um, or 
the rest of the congregation. And again, we shouldn't put the majority of the burden on the BIPOC folks. So at this point, I'm just trying to sell the question to you all, is how do you plan on fulfilling the new mission without these structures, systems, teams, and committees in place? Well, so that's more a question than an answer that I have at this point. Well, we know the questions are as valuable as the answers. Absolutely, right. <laughs> um, and I, I am uh, on the church board, and so I'm familiar with the goals of the interim minister, and one of them is to continue this work, uh, which is actually a very big goal since we already have a very big goal in finding a new settled minister. Okay, and uh, this question came in a bit late, which is related in general, as some people may not know, Reverend Jennifer is from Hawaii. So the question is, how can we promote an aloha spirit at Fourth U? Well, to clarify, I was not born and raised in Hawaii, but I did live there for eight years. And the word aloha itself, from what I understand, comes from, um, you know, it has the word ha in it, which is Hawaiian for breath. And you'll notice that um, when indigenous Hawaiians greet one another, they do the honi, which is to um, put one's forehead next to another and then breathe in. And for our huddle these days, we do that <clears throat> same um, greeting of breathing in and out. And, you know, this is a piece of trivia, but the word haole uh, comes from a combination of two words, ha and ole, meaning breath, but without, right? And this came from when the missionaries came to Hawaii and they did not do the honi, and rather they extended their hand and the Hawaiians thought, well, that's odd. Do they not have breath to share with one another? And so for me, again, to exhibit the spirit of aloha is to share our breath with one another meaning that we share our lives with each other because to have breath is to have life and um, to share our love with one another. So I feel like the more, the bigger that that circle gets, the more we are able to practice the spirit of aloha. So the more we share our breath with one another, the bigger our aloha becomes. Does that make sense? Yes, and in case you're not aware, we're not huddling like, you know, like in the back, we're just right before the service. Whoever's involved in the services goes upstairs and has a, a centering moment. So that's what he's referring. In case you were thinking we were playing hockey, which is actually one of the questions that we had from one of our youngsters this morning when I tried to get an a question from him. Um, he wanted to know, do you play or watch hockey at all? I do not. I am a stereotypical gay man in that I don't <laughs> do sports. Okay. So I, All right. I don't even know the first thing about it. And I did try um, ice skating at Central Park. Okay. Yeah, after the, fell, the first time I fell on my ass, I was done. Um, <laughs> one, one fall on your ass and you're out of here? Come on. <laughs> I don't have much ass to begin with. So it really I understand. Hurt. Yes, I um, understand. <laughs> you know, I crossed it off my bucket list. Um, I did it. It was it was fine, and I was done. And this, but thank you for asking. And this birthday weekend, which I shared with my two friends, um, one of our bucket lists was 
as you, if you can see, they're wearing tiaras, and we went to the crown of the Statue of Liberty wearing our tiaras, and that was also a bucket list or a, a life resume addition, which is what Tammy calls it. A tiara I would wear. A tiara, yes. <laughs> okay. Maybe someday we could make a, a field trip as a trek to the top of the Statue of Liberty together. Okay, well, other inquiring minds also want to know, what is the thing that brings you the most joy in day-to-day, -day, in, in the day-to-day? -day? Oh my gosh, that is uh, an ongoing spiritual practice, um, again, in light of what um, uh, sometimes doesn't bring me joy, is whenever I doom scroll through my New York Times app. Um, but what counterbalances that is I have a spiritual practice of running, um, and I found a new path ever since I moved here to New York around Central Park um, near the Parsonage. And um, just witnessing the changing of the seasons, and I didn't even know how I was gonna react to the snow when it actually snowed a couple weeks ago, um, but it was absolutely stunning and beautiful. So I uh, took pictures of it, and um that, so that brings me joy and traveling brings me joy and i actually take also a lot of pictures when i'm traveling especially of flowers um and during the pandemic i actually had a blog uh, called what the flowers are saying and i used some of my pictures for that blog um to remind us that even during the most difficult of times that um the flowers will still grow and there's still gonna be beauty in this world because my definition of grace is the unexpected appearance of beauty and so whenever I encounter beauty um, that reminds me that grace abounds and that there is more joy somewhere oh and can I add one more thing by the way absolutely I absolutely again I want to keep my gay card so I try to watch as many theater productions as possible, right? And so ever since, and, and New York is the perfect place for that. And I've seen uh, at this point close to 40 uh, musicals and plays uh, since I moved to New York. So that brings me a lot of joy and just to laugh out loud or to, um, to be inspired by the acting and, and, and the plot lines, you know, that brings me joy. Thank you for asking. Well, thank you very much. Shouldn't we give Reverend Jonifer a big round of applause? <laughs> uh, that's a little bit of a tease because he said people are going to be applauding. It's like, don't worry. <laughs> well, thank you again. Um, very enlightening in so many ways. There were so many more interesting questions that uh, were asked. I hope that uh, we get a chance to answer them again another time and as we continue on our service today. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Thank you.